and welcome. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Monday, April 24th, 2023. It's the Feast of St. Fidelis Sigmarning. St. Fidelis was born as Mark Ray in 1577 in Sigmarin, Prussia. He was a successful lawyer, but disillusioned with the corruption and fraud in the legal system and society. Thus, he became a priest and joined the Capuchin Order at the age of 35. Taking the name Fidelis, he was a remarkable orator and preached in various German, Austrian, and Swiss cities. His efforts were not confined to the pulpit, as he also wrote pamphlets against Calvinism and Zwingliism. He was appointed as superior at several monasteries and was also tasked by the papal nuncio to reform the monasteries of other orders. The Congregation of the, for the Propagation of the Faith appointed the Capuchins to combat Calvinism in the region of Greece and Switzerland, and Father Fidelis was chosen to lead the mission. He was so successful that heretics became alarmed and spread rumors that he was preparing the way for the subjugation of the country of Austria. Despite this, he continued to preach, and in 1622, he was martyred by the Calvinist who had surrounded him and offered to save his life if he would apostatize. He replied, quote, I came to excarpate your heresy, not to embrace it, end quote, and he was killed with blows of swords. St. Fidelis presents an admirable example of fortitude and willingness to face martyrdom. St. Fidelis Sigmarin, pray for us. And good morning to you, praise be to God. It is a good to be here today, especially on a Monday morning. It's always good to be here, but, you know, Monday mornings, a lot, not a lot of people love Monday mornings, but I say let's offer up the day for the, with the blessings of God. I am so happy to be here with you today, and I am sure that it's going to be a blessing, even if, even if it's a day of suffering, it's still going to be a blessing to, uh, to suffer and I say that because, you know, I, this this weekend I was actually out traveling. I was um, going to the, um, I was going on a hike. I went on a hike this uh, Friday or Saturday, rather, with my brother and my father and Mr. Cesar with the, the TFP. And we went on a, this small little hike and we completely forgot that it had rained the day before. And so the trail was completely covered in water. And the water went all the way up to our thighs at certain points. And so my feet were just soaking wet. And now we're going through it. And uh, Mr. Cesar, he made the point. He goes, you know, it's really good that we get to suffer here. And I was thinking, oh, man, uh, yeah, I guess so. Because uh, I'd rather have been dry. Uh, but Mr. Cesar, he was telling me, he said, no, it is, it's good to suffer because God gives his blessings as sufferings. We We get these we receive sufferings as blessings from God. And I thought that was a beautiful thing to think about. And we brought up the prosperity gospel and how different the prosperity gospel is from the actual gospel and the gospel that we have in the Catholic Church to show that, you know, God, uh, we are not greater than our master. Um, we are far God suffered and died on the cross. Then maybe every once in a while we'll have to slosh through a little bit of water. 
So it's a good thing to think about, especially on this Monday morning. But good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. What a wonderful day. What a great way to start the week. It's a beautiful uh, Monday so far. And uh, it's going to be a little bit cold here in our part of the country, but we hope the rest of the, you are going to be experiencing great weather. And uh, let's start off the week strong. God bless you all. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's see here. Coming up at 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about the Jesuit University. Have you heard a Jesuit University is actually hosting a drag queen show? Yikes. And at 30 past the hour, we're going to be discussing war with Ukraine. Are we, gonna, are we currently at war with Ukraine? We're going to be talking to Colonel Matt Dooley about that situation uh, coming up at 30 past the hour. Uh, but stay with us because in the second hour, we're going to be talking about vocations at the top of the 7 o'clock hour central time. We're going to be talking about vocations and unnecessary mystery. It's not that complicated. Does your son, does your daughter have a vocation? Well, they might want to tune in because we're going to be talking vocations at 7 o'clock hour, 7 to 7.15. And then, of course, at the 7.15, uh, we're going to be having a our game show, Fear and Trembling. And so stay tuned with us. We're, there's a lot going to be covered today on Catholic Drive Time. You're not going to want to miss not one moment of it. So let's begin in prayer. We're going to pray to the Holy Ghost, and as it is April, the month dedicated to the Holy Ghost. So we're going to pray the Vini Sancti Spiritus. We're going to offer up our prayers for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. We offer up all these intentions as we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Oremus, O God, who taught the hearts of the, by the faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, today is Monday, April 24th, and these are your headlines for today. Zenit reports the bishops expressed their tremendous disappointment at when the Supreme Court of the U.S. temporarily blocked lower court rulings that would have suspended the, the FDA's loosening of health and safety standards for the abortion drug Mifepristone, as innocent lives will be lost and the woman consuming it will be endangered. The Union of Catholic News Agencies reports police in a southern Indian state have arrested a 77-year-old priest of the Orthodox Syrian Church for allegedly molesting a young girl. The priest is charged under various provisions of a special law meant to protect children from sexual abuse in, in, in India. Catholic News Agency reports the Pontifical Academy for Life president calls medically assisted suicide feasible. Archbishop Vicencio Pagilia's remarks on legalizing assisted suicide contradict the clear teachings of the Catholic Church. This is not the first time Pagilia's remarks on assisted suicide have stirred controversy. In 2019, answering a question about assisted suicide and whether a Catholic or a Catholic priest can be present at someone's death by assisted suicide, Pagilia told a small group of journalists that he would be willing to do so because the Lord never abandons anyone. And finally, Union of Catholic Asian News reports China on Sunday it had lodged a complaint with Seoul over South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol's erroneous remarks about Taiwan as a diplomatic spat simmers between the two Asian neighbors. Beijing and Seoul have traded barbs over a Reuters interview with Yoon this month 
in which he called tensions between China and Taiwan a global issue, similar to North Korea, and blamed recent heightened tensions on attempts to change the status quo by force. Those were your headlines this morning. May God bless you all. The gospel of the day comes from John chapter six, verses twenty-two through twenty-nine. Next morning, the multitude was still waiting on the opposite shore. They had seen that there was only one boat there, and that Jesus did not embark with his disciples on this boat, but left his disciples to go back alone. But now, since other boats from Tiberias had put in near the place where they ate the loaves, when the Lord gave thanks over them. The multitude, finding neither Jesus nor his disciple there, embarked on these boats in their turn, and went back to Capernaum to look for Jesus. And when they found out that he had crossed the lake, they had asked him, "Master, why didst thou make thy way here? Or when did thy make thy way here?" Jesus answered them, "Believe me, if you were all looking for me now, it is not because of the miracles you have seen; it is because you were fed with the loaves and had your fill." You should not work to earn food which perishes in the using. Work to earn food which affords continually eternal life. Such food as the Son of Man will give you, God the Father has authorized him. What shall we do? Then they asked him, so as to work in God's service. Jesus answered them, This is the service of God asked of you, to believe in the man who, who, whom he has sent. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm only going to cover one verse for this passage, and Cornelius Lapide had a lot to say about the whole thing. So I highly recommend look up Cornelius Lapide's great commentary on the Gospels, and you will find it online for free and read the entirety of it. Because I'm only going to be able to cover a fraction of one verse today, because there's just so much to cover, and I think this is the most important. Now here it says Jesus answered. He gave a reply, therefore, which had more direct concern for his questioners, namely that they were seeking food for their bodies, rather for their souls, rather than for their souls. He asked me not because ye saw the miracles by means of which I labor to teach you faith and repentance and the other evangelical virtues by which ye may arrive at everlasting life. Ye seek me. Not that ye may receive of me the food of the soul, but because ye did not eat of the because ye did eat of the loaves which I miraculously multiplied, and which I made pleasant to your taste, in order that ye may again have a like experience. For many are the lovers of the loaves and fishes, rather than of Christ's eternal salvation. For the carnal have a taste only for carnal things. Because they do not receive spiritual things. Now here it says, "Labor not," and you might say, "Okay, well, what does that mean? What am I laboring not for? You strive with zeal and labor, in sedulous care to get food, not that of the body which perisheth, but of the soul which perisheth not." So this is an emphasis of saying the soul is more important than the body. Now Cornelius Lapide makes the point connecting it to the Samaritan woman who went to the well to get water, and our Lord gave him spiritual water, that he might fulfill, might teach his faithful followers, and especially the priests and religious, to do the same, so that in their colloquies they might lead the people from corporeal to spiritual things. Wherefore, from this saying of Christ, Cyril rightly says, we must have no care for the flesh. 
but we must watch for things that are needful for eternity. For he who follows after bodily pleasures differs in no respect from the beast. But he who cleaves to nature and leads his life according to the spiritual law and is wholly given up to those things which are given us by God and prepare our way for the things above, such a one seems to me to know himself nor to be ignorant that he is reasonably made in the image of his creator. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying this is an analogy to the spiritual water. So just as we have the food here that is miraculously given, that is multiplied into enough to feed thousands, this food is a prefigurement of the Eucharist, which is to come. And Cornelius Lapide explicitates this when he says, you will ask, what is that food enduring into eternal life, which Christ bids us to, uh, to work for that we may gain it? The heretics, called Massilians or the Eutychites, uh, say that prayers were the thought that it was as prayer. He said that the food of eternal life is prayer. But Christ said, do not work with your hands, because the work of thy hands perisheth. But always pray to God in your hearts, because prayer is the food of the Spirit and remaineth forever. Now, these heretics said that we should not labor with our hands, but should pray always. See St. Chrysostom on this passage. But this is a heresy which St. Paul condemns in Second Thessalonians 3.10. When St. Paul says, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Now, this has a twofold meaning. The first fold is the, in the natural way. So everyone has to labor and you are fed by your labor. So no one should be giving the, it should be de desire this communist idea that I can just receive things from the government and I should just receive and take food from you and not have to work for it. But secondarily and spiritually and mystically, St. Paul is talking about the Holy Eucharist. If you do not work, neither let him eat. If you do not endure and work out your salvation with fear and trembling, if you do not do the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, and notice also the spiritual works of mercy, which are often forgotten today, the spiritual works of mercy, these actions, the actions that Christ has commanded us by keeping his commandments, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. In other words, St. Paul could, be, have, could have been translated as saying, if anyone does not do the will of the Father, if he does not work out his salvation with fear and trembling, neither let him consume the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, which profiteth to eternal life. So think about that today. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a Jesuit university offering drag queen shows. Mm, very interesting. We'll be right back with more after this. Donnie, in what gospel do we find the Hail Mary prayer? The gospel of Luke. Do we worship Mary? No. What do we do? Ask her to pray for us. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's your go-to for interpreting the Bible? You go on Sinatra, he did it his way, or you go on Magisterium, we're doing it the Apostles' way. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. The Magisterium. What's that? That's the indisputable 2,000-year teaching authority of the Church. The Catechism says, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the Catholic Church alone. Secondly, a stark contrast. Again, the Catechism says, the Magisterium is not not superior to the Word of God, but it is its servant. In contrast, the megachurch pastors are coming up with some crazy stuff. They tell us, quote, God is doing a new thing, or the Lord spoke to me this. Humorously, out from all of this, they become their own pseudo-magisterium. And thirdly, Mr. Sinatra, your voice and your music in the 40s swooned my mother, but with lofty lyrics and a lot of ego, your advice from the 1975 hit, I did it my way, falls short. Come on, let's get under the comforting shade of the magisterium. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. So good to be on with you today. Happy Monday to you. Monday in the season of Easter. It's a good day to be with you. It's always a good day to be here. You know, there's a couple stories that I saw that was concerning. In fact, this story specifically came to me from a listener who sent me an email, and I was shocked by this because I hadn't seen this story. It was very low-key didn't come up in anything and i was thinking about well you know it's not really news things like this happen quite a bit maybe i won't talk about it but then i thought you know a lot of these groups try their best to stay hidden they want to subvert the church without actually showing that they're subverting the church so it's good to be able to know what's happening so i figured okay let me talk about it so this university, the name of the university is Cantius University. It's a Jesuit university. They had a drag queen show. Their local, their college newspaper actually reported on it, the Griffin, Cantius', Cantius's college student paper. News features opinions and sports. Here's the story. It's only a two-minute read. Cantius's first drag queen show takes the stage this Friday. That would have been this last Friday. in Mont- Montant Cultural Center by Maddie Lockwood, assistant feature editor. After almost 20 years in the making, Cantius's Unity will be hosting the first drag queen show in the school's history. Now, Cantius's Unity is a LGBT club, which we're going to talk about in a second, and but we'll come back to that. The show, or experience, as Unity president Leo Salazar explains it as, will be held this Friday, April 21st at 7.30 p.m. in the Montant Cultural Center. That would be last Friday. This show was incredibly important for the organization to pull off. With the event being so long in the making, many former executive board members and club members reached out to share congratulations. The Unity Instagram account received many messages from alumni members of the club, mostly sharing their experience of attempting to put on the drag queen show themselves, but inevitably being unsuccessful because of pushback from administration. One former executive board member even shared that they attempted to put it on the show all the way back in 2006. So remember, these things have been in, in the works for a very long time. LGBTQ plus clubs at the other Jesuit universities also reached out to send positive messages for the ability to bring out the art of drag to Cantius. Notice they call it the art of drag. This is obviously a very positive perception by the college newspaper of the drag queen show. The production, who initially brought to their attention from former president Karen Jesh, who proposed it last year when it was not approved 
for production by the college. Salazar feels that the timing of the drag show couldn't have been better given some current events in other states banning drag queen performances and other forms of gender expression. Salazar explains, drag historically has been used as a form of protest against social injustice. This being an important time for the college to be going against the wave of censoring queer voices and expressions. The drag queen show will be a performance of four drag queens and one drag king. I guess a drag queen king would be a woman dressed as a man, I guess. Traditionally, a drag queen is a mask presenting person. So if you don't know what a mask presenting person, don't worry, because I didn't either. I had to look it up. Mask is a shorthand for masculinity or masculine. So a drag queen is a masculine presenting person because they don't want to say a man. So is a person that appears to be a man is what they're saying. What they mean is it's a man dressed as a woman who takes on the persona of a woman in a performing in a performance setting with a drag king being the opposite, a femme presenting person. So a woman. So because they don't want to say a woman because they don't know what a woman is. They say a femme presenting person. So someone who appears to be feminine. What is that supposed to mean if you don't even know what a woman is? It doesn't make any sense. Taking on a man. Notice they use the word man here, and they use the word woman there, yet they don't know what a woman is, and they don't know what a man is. Very strange. The city of Buffalo is represented well in this performance. Two of these queens are local queens, so they're men dressed as women. They're transvestites. And the drag king is even a Cantius alumni. Oh, that's great. A Jesuit alum coming to, to perform and a degenerate transvestite performance. The other drag queens, Mrs. Kasha Davis and Tatiana, are internationally known stars of RuPaul's Drag Race. Kasha Davis can be seen on Season 7 in the upcoming Season 8 of the spinoff series, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, which welcomes past season's favorite queens. Tatiana can be found on Season 2 of both the original, yada yada yada, don't care. Uh, Doors were opening on Friday, at 7 p.m. at the event opens to the whole Kansas community. It'll be a historic moment to witness a Kansas enter a more modern era in the LGBTQ movement. So I was wondering, okay, well, maybe this is like a dissident group. Maybe it's not real. So I found out this newspaper is the Can- the Griffin is Kansas college student run newspaper and the oldest club founded in 1933. So this is what the this newspaper has been around for a long time. So it's not just some dissident newspaper. This is the official college newspaper of the school. Been around a very long time. And I was like, okay, well, what is Kansas University? I never heard of it. Is this actually Jesuit University? What is it? So I found their website, went to their about page, and it says here, constantly ranked among the top institutions in the Northeast, Kansas is a master's level college in one of the twenty seven. Jesuit colleges and universities in the nation, founded in 1870. So there you go. It is a long-running institution, being around for over 100 years, and in one of the 27 Jesuit universities in America. Very, very concerning. Now, we talked about Kansas College Unity Club, and this is where it gets really concerning. It's a LGBT club. And here on their about page, it says, what does it mean to be part of the LGBTQ plus community and go to a Jesuit institution? Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, here they're going to have to repudiate the Jesuits in order to be able to say that they are uh, supportive, right? Wrong. Of course, they think that the Jesuits support them. And the Jesuits, I'm sure, do. 
It says here, students who are part of the LGBTQ plus community and go to a Jesuit teaching school have a safe place to express their true self, whatever that may be. Here at Cantius, we foster an accepting community where students can feel safe, accepted, and supported. Commitment to creating an atmosphere free of homophobic and transphobic behavior, along with LGBTQ plus advocating in any form, is fully consistent with Catholic education and the teaching of the Jesuits. They're saying that the LGBT ideology is consistent with Catholic education and the teachings of the Jesuits. Very concerning. It says the late Jesuit father Howard Gray once told an LGBTQ plus student, God loves you and the church is learning to love you. James Martin SJ once said in an interview, love is the most important church teaching. There is no conflict between being a Jesuit and being LGBTQ plus. And we hope to support all students in recognizing the love of God that has for all, including those in the LGBTQ plus community. Now, here's the two things. One, yes, God loves everyone. Two, God hates the LGBTQ sin. So that is a thing that we have to keep in mind. And what does it mean to love? So Father James Martin S.J. says, love is the most important teaching of the church. Well, yeah, of course. Charity. But love does not mean to accept The word accept and love are two different things. We cannot accept things that are bad. God hates the works of iniquity. That's Psalm 5. God hateth the evildoer. That's Psalm 5. Read Psalm 5. Now, here he says, love is the most important teaching. So what does God mean by love? Well, God means, love means to will the good of the other. So you have to will the good for somebody. What is the good? Well, the good certainly is not to accept homosexual vice. The good is definitely not to accept drag queens. The good is to call someone to repentance and to sacrifice. It's to the gospel message. Now here, they list the Jesuit values. He says that the, the Jesuit values, Magis, challenges students to go beyond what is expedient, interacting with the world with generosity, excellence, and empathy. That is 100% not what Magis means. Magis, and, and here's the thing. I'm not a huge Jesuit guy. I'm a, I'm a Dominican lover through and through. And I, but nonetheless, I think the Jesuit mottos are amazing and wonderful and should not be perverted. So Magis refers to the word greater or greatness. But what is the word referring to? It's a referring back to the official motto of the Jesuit order, which is ad mejorum dei gloria. All for the greater glory of God. So by magis, they mean for the greater glory of God. It's a shorthand of referring to their motto. Not to treat, interact with the world with generosity, excellence, and empathy. That has nothing to do with that. It just, that's just made up. The other one is cura personalis, which they translate as care for yourself and others. That is not what that means. Cura personalis means an, a care for the entire person. What does that refer to? That refers to the body and the soul. That's what is meant by that. It's saying that we have to care for the mind, the body, and the soul. So that's why the Jesuits would open universities. That's why they would help and open hospitals. That's why they would care for them by education of a spiritual life. 
because they recognized they wanted to care for the entire person. But that's care for the entire person, not in this self-help way of like, oh, I got to work on myself. The idea is to direct you toward what is good, what is the flourishing of man. So if someone is overweight, helping them to get to the proper weight. If someone is in sin, help, helping them to have their confessions heard. If someone is a Protestant, helping them to reject their Protestant errors and come into the Catholic faith. That is the idea of cura personalis, not care for yourselves and others. Now, the discernment, that could be a whole topic in of itself. Jesuit spirituality in their discernment is excellent, though it's been mostly rejected in the 21st century. And then, of course, they had a bunch of other ones that they just listed here that are just never been part of the Jesuits, like, for instance, uh, social justice and these kind of things were never part of the Jesuit order in terms of their beliefs. So all these things are very, very concerning, and we should keep an eye on. And I want to point this out, and not because this is particularly unique, but because people are ignoring it. It's become white noise to us. Oh, another Jesuit university. Oh, another Jesuit doing something bad. We have to know that this is happening. I mean, I didn't know this was happening. I don't know if you knew this was happening. And they're having these things, and they're pushing dissidents everywhere. And we should push back. We should give people a, a reason to not do it again. So as faithful Catholics, as people who are members of the church, we should reach out to this university, Kansas University, and say, hey, why did y'all allow this to happen? Are y'all going to allow this to happen again? Are y'all going to condemn this action? Are you going to put on more of this minstrel show for women? Why did y'all allow this at the university? Why are y'all dissident teachers? And where are the bishops at? Why have the bishops not condemned this teachings? Why have the bishops not come out and said, we are rejecting these ideologies? This needs to happen. This has to be something that we do because this is not good and this is against church teaching. So let's put pressure on the university. Let's put pressure on the bishops to condemn this university and say, y'all are no longer Catholic because y'all are promoting evil ideologies. Now, we'll be right back with more after this short break. We're going to be talking about Ukraine with Colonel Matt Dooley coming up after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Should pastors and churches place expectations and obligations on the congregation? Your average non-Catholic evangelical would say no, maybe even no way. It might be said, we do not need written order, discipline, or expectations. Those should derive from personal desire and from the Holy Spirit, not from a church. Or, each Christian's conscience should be sufficient for correction and discipline. Or, the Holy Spirit will personally lead each believer as to what church or to attend and certainly how often they should go. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Natural law says human society cannot be well-ordered nor prosperous unless it has legitimate authority to preserve its own institutions, the Bible. Secondly, the Bible, which says in multiple places such as Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And thirdly, the Catholic Church says when we are properly ordered, we will be capable of resisting conformity to the contemporary demands of unhealthy individualism. So obligations, much obliged. So a neighbor who we've spoken to, you know, just in greeting, but who I don't believe has ever spoken back to us, out of the blue uh, surprised us. One day we were getting the kids in the car for Mass and asked us if we were going to Mass. I was dumbstruck for about probably 10 seconds. It was great that we had an opportunity to share about our parish and that we were Catholic. Turned out she was Catholic too, and she assumed we were because of the bumper sticker on our car. The Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Radio for your soul. The Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Monday, April 24th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. And these are your headlines for this morning. Catholic News Agency reports the Samaritan House in Denver launches one of the nation's first shelter-based pediatric clinics. Every Child Pediatrics provides wraparound health care to every child living at Samaritan House, regardless of their insurance status or ability to pay. Their team includes a certified pediatrician, advanced care practitioner, and medical assistant and fulfills primary care needs for all children from newborns to teenagers. These services include a wide variety of medical care such as annual checkups, sports physicals, common illness relief, and vaccinations. The Samaritan House Wellness Consultant team provides patients with mental and behavioral health services in a primary care setting. Zenit reports the election of the Grand Master taking place on the 3rd of May 2023 for the Order of Malta. The election will take place in Rome in the Magisterial Villa, the institutional seat of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. The Villa enjoys the right of extraterritoriality guaranteed by the Italian Republic. Union of Catholic Asian News reports Pope Francis on Sunday called for dialogue between warring military factions in Sudan as a bloody outbreak of fighting entered a second week. France, Italy, Turkey and the U.S. are all evacuating citizens from Sudan. Ferocious battles between the Sudanese army and a paramilitary group which has seen fighting with tanks in densely populated Khartoum and airstrikes launched by fighter jets have killed more than 400 people and left thousands wounded. And finally, Breitbart News reports a Utah state Republican lawmaker's home was allegedly vandalized after he introduced a bill aiming to ban transgender surgeries on minors. The message to state Senator Mike Kennedy, written in red spray paint on his door, read FASH as an abbreviation for fascist. And these trannies bash back. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. Uh, joining us right now via Zoom is Colonel Matt Dooley. We're going to be talking about the situation in Ukraine. Good morning to you, Matt Dooley. Tito, you got to turn on uh, Matt's, uh, Colonel Dooley's microphone. Uh, it's on. It's on. Colonel Dooley, can you hear me? All right. Uh, one second. Let's see. For some reason, we cannot hear you. So we're going to need to work on that. Tito, can you uh, yeah. keep working on trying to figure out why we can't hear Colonel Dooley? Uh, the story that we're going to be talking about is the leak coming out where it, it turns out that it seems that we are essentially at war with Ukraine. And how could that be? How could we possibly be at war with Ukraine? That is a very concerning situation. And what did we learn from this leak? Um, yeah, Tito, did you see that story? Uh, yes. The, the war in Ukraine, I saw that story where we've got some, uh, it has to do with some of our own special forces are embedded in there, helping guiding the military ordinance of the Ukrainian uh, f uh, forces. And uh, it's really getting hot and heavy out in Bakhmut. And so as the intensity heats up, Russia is doing their best to try and get into Bakhmut. Because they realize that if you once the spring weather sets in, Ukraine is going to is getting prepared for a counteroffensive 
getting ready all the new military hardware and training that they've been receiving from NATO forces and security personnel. So it's getting to be a very tense situation, and we don't want any of that to spill over and draw us in and give an excuse to the Russian forces to start attacking NATO allies and watching us stand by. So it's, it's really acute right now in that, in that area of Ukraine, in the west, in the eastern portion, excuse me. And uh, it, it's, it's getting quite hairy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Colonel Dooley, can you hear us now? Uh, I think I, we figured out the problem. Uh, I think perhaps we can hear you now. No, okay. Uh, Colonel Dooley, could you uh, grab your phone and dial 877-757-9424? and uh, call into it via phone, and then we can uh, get you on that way. So that way we can uh, get you on as soon as possible. That would be the ideal situation. And that number is 877-757-9424. That should get you on, and we'll get you back on in just one moment. But for sure, it's very interesting. The other thing that I found interesting about this situation was the fact that the fact that we got the call in about this situation, or not the call, but we had this leaked out, and the reaction by the media was not to investigate the truth or veracity of the claim. Instead, it was to try to reject and say this guy is terrible. Uh, but good morning to you, Colonel Dooley. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, it's uh, technology on, uh, on both ends, I think. Um, can you hear me now? Yes, sir. We can hear you loud and clear. Uh, so let's just jump straight into the story, Colonel Dooley. What did you uh, discover about the situation regarding the leaks about our situation in Ukraine? Yeah, there's a couple of problems, and you know, by now everyone's well aware uh, that an Airman First Class and an uh, Air National Guard unit uh, had access uh, to highly classified documents uh, for a period of time long enough uh, for him to take pictures. Uh, and post those pictures in a chat group, uh, and for those, some of those pictures to be taken from that chat group uh, and shared uh, all over the world. Um, and the Russians were able to get a hold of some of this stuff and modify it uh, for their own misinformation purposes. Uh, so you, you've had a breach. So what does that mean? Uh, for a couple of, of reasons, I, I have an issue with it. Number one, why did such a, a junior enlisted man have access to that kind of documentation um, and you know where was his chain of command um, how long did he have it uh, in order to capture photos of hundreds of documents allegedly he had to have had it for a while um, and why did you why did he print it off uh, the, the the management of classified information once you've got it printed and it's in, in physical form uh, becomes problematic because you've got to have it in a vault you've got to have it locked you know and, and put away uh, people can get a hold of it and take it outside of a classified area. So there's all kinds of issues that I have uh, that I have questions on uh, as the investigation about how he got a hold of stuff and, and why he did what he did continues. Uh, but more importantly, I think, it leads to mistrust from our allies. What information do they want to share with us now? Uh, if they're going to give us, for, you know, the, the, the case of the Ukrainians, if they're going to share their, their plans for an offensive or share data on troop strength and, and where they've positioned assets so they can collaborate with us. Uh, if we're a sieve that can't contain this information, then they're less likely to share information with us next time. Uh, if you are 
a NATO ally and looking to collaborate with us uh, about, you know, maybe sending fighter planes or sending additional tanks. Uh, but you want to kind of keep it on the down low uh, so that you don't anger the Russians. Uh, well, that, that's no longer a, uh, a trade secret anymore. Uh, they're going to give it to you, and the Russians are going to find out about it if our uh, control over our classified information isn't locked down. Yeah, that is uh, – I, I hadn't thought about that, actually. That's very interesting. Uh, it, is, it is fascinating. For those who don't know, because I, I mean, I have no idea what the process is, when someone receives classified information, what exactly is the protocol there? Because it seems as though we're finding out that every politician in America has you know, classified information and they have it at their homes. And so it seems like classified information is all over the place. So what exactly is the correct way to handle this, this information and what's kind of the rules behind it? Who gets access to it? What is, what is the process here? Those are all really good questions, and it leads to my my, uh, my other issues. That we're not casting a wide enough net. Um, it's not just an airman first class uh, who screwed up uh, in this particular case. There are other concerns and other piles of classified data that keep showing up in different places. Uh, so the first one is, um, what should be your level of access? What are you cleared uh, to, to view? Is it just... Uh, uh, unclassified, um, but controlled information, what we call CUI. Uh, is it secret? Is it top secret? Is it top secret SCI? There are varying levels of, of ascending, uh, access where you can, you can learn more and more about less and less until you know virtually everything about something very, very, very specific. And the, the highest level, uh, is of course the President of the United States. So, we, we have those classification levels, in theory, to control who has access, so you don't have to worry about it getting out. But if we're going to share top-secret information uh, with a very junior enlisted man, um, what are the controls and why does he or she need to know it? Uh, so that's the first question. The second one is, what, what uh, teaching uh, did each of these people uh, who are accused of uh, not doing what they should have done, uh, mishandling classified information. What level of training did they go through? There are protocols. There are annual classes that we are all supposed to go through if you're going to handle classified information. They're supposed to give you the protocols uh, and the allowances and what you what you shouldn't do. Uh, also, instructions on what to do in case there's, there's spillage. Um, so of all the years that I have gone through classified uh, training and handle classified information, Never once uh, the, did anyone ever tell me it was okay to put it in a box in, in a garage or next to my Corvette. Um, never once did it say that it's okay for me to keep my own drive and share it with my friends on an online chat group. So I'm really curious about you know, where uh, and, and how often uh, the servicemen are, are, are told. Uh, but I'm also more concerned about politicians who seem to think they're above the law. So we're arguing a lot of different things here. Yeah, for sure. When we come back, I want to get into the specifics about what we have found out. I mean, now that it's leaked, I mean, we can talk about it, but uh, it's a very concern to see. And uh, what, do we ever declare war now or do we just end up in wars? All these questions and more when we come back after this short break. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you know what are the two most common questions after attending a non-Catholic church service? Answer, how is the preaching and how is the worship? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, evaluation of worship? That's odd. Who's evaluating worship? Well, here's what really is meant by that. How is the music, the singing, and the audible response of the people? And if that were important, wouldn't that be our Lord's decision anyway? Secondly, Catholic teaching. Worship is fundamentally not tied to music and song, though it can be so supported by music and song. The 2,000-year history of Catholic worship is primarily about the representing of Jesus' unbloody, timeless sacrifice on every Catholic altar. It is that moment when the bread and wine are changed into Jesus' own body and blood. We then participate in that worship by bringing our own sacrifice of self, whether sorrow or praise. And thirdly, my take. The only evaluation that should be considered after a church or a mass is the evaluation of heart and actions. That is, did we grow in obedience to the royal law of love? Help us, Father. Hey, Donnie, what are the four Gospels in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And who baptized Jesus? St. John the Baptist. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and it's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, during the Easter season, it's good to think about our Lord's resurrection and recognize that no matter what happens, no matter what's going on in the world, that Christ overcomes. And it's good to think about, especially when we talk about the uh, risk of, of war because that's never a good thing. We we don't like to be at war. Sometimes it's necessary, but sometimes we uh, jump into things that we shouldn't be. And to talk about the potential of war is Colonel Matt Dooley. We're talking about these uh, documents that were leaked about uh, the war in the Ukraine. And the thing that was interesting to me was the reaction that the media gave to these documents. At first, you know, when typically when things are leaked, Everybody jumps on the information and wants to report on what was leaked first. And then secondarily, they go, okay, so what's the deal? Why was this leaked? Who leaked it? And these kind of things. But instead, we saw every media outlet pretty much jump onto this airman and start uh, revealing who it was, start doing research into who did it, why they did it, all these different things. But hardly anyone ever talked about what exactly did we learn from this leak. Uh, Colonel Matt Dooley, uh, what did we learn from the documents that were leaked? Uh, well, so far, uh, we're at the mercy uh, of what media reports uh, have gotten out there uh, about the content. So we've got to take a, an appetite suppressant, a little bit of grain of salt to recognize that, fortunately uh, or unfortunately, uh, none of us were involved um, in the direct access of material. So we're not under investigation. So we're, we're only as an audience, uh, only able to see uh, or know uh, what's been put out there uh, and released through media sources. Uh, but uh, across the board, a couple of things that um, are, are salient. One, uh, troop losses, uh, and this is where the, the Russian misinformation uh, comes out. Uh, there's much argument back and forth about how many soldiers uh, the Ukrainian army has lost uh, and how many soldiers the, the Russians have lost. Uh, and 
the uh, the photo that showed the numbers on the slide uh, were obviously edited, uh, you know, badly photoshopped or whatever. So you could tell someone had messed with it. Um, there's definitely uh, some concerns about Ukrainian losses uh, because they're a much smaller force compared to their their Russian invaders. Uh, but the Russians have lost uh, by estimates from both the UK uh, and the Pentagon, uh, somewhere between 185,000 to 200,000 soldiers dead. Uh, that does not include wounded. So the numbers saying that they've only lost 17,000 are, are clearly a lie. But the other concerns that, that are out there that are more believable are the, the loss of um, or the use of air defense systems, missiles, and things like that the Ukrainians have used so far to keep control of their skies. And the concern is, is you know, by the end of May, they'll, they'll be out of missiles, they'll be out of weapons, uh, which would then open them up to direct air attack. Uh, and the, the Russian Air Force would be able to gain a lot more influence than what they've seen in the last 18 months or so. So that is a concern. Um, the other concern is, you know, where, where is the, the much-anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive going to occur? The last thing we want is the Russians to have access to exactly where that's going to occur, what kind of resources and, and assets the Ukrainians are going to throw at it, because then they would they would reinforce the defense in, in that area. So that's why uh, it's an issue. Um, there are some also some concerns in that that classified data that are not Ukrainian. Uh, talking about our, our South Korean friends uh, in issues in the, in the Pacific. So it's not just isolated. Uh, to issues in Eastern Europe, uh, but but more broadly, uh, the defense issues across the world. And what do you think about the the claim that we have U.S. troops on the ground, not just in an advisory role or in a help role, but special forces uh, in the in in involvement in combat uh, in Ukraine? Uh, I think I believe it was uh, they said that Latvia had 17 troops, uh, special forces ops. France at 15, U.S. 14, Netherlands 1. Is, do we, is there any truth to this claim, or and what would it mean if it is true? Well, those numbers uh, are commensurate with what you'd expect for uh, a foreign internal uh, defense training group or a group uh, next to an embassy or a consulate. Um, you know, a single A-team um, of 12 soldiers or so is not enough to be definitive. Um, and so those numbers are, are in alignment with what you might expect uh, to be in any other country that we have uh, a relationship with, with their military. Uh, but they're not numbers high enough to indicate to me, in my experience, uh, some sort of uh, offensive participation. It's just not enough. Uh, that being said, you know, if you've got 12 to 14 soldiers who are able to tip the balance of a war on the front line, I want to know who those guys are. Uh, <laughs> but realistically, it's, we're not talking battalions or brigades. We're not talking about evidence of a of a of an armored task force on the front line somewhere maneuvering uh, next to the Ukrainian brigade. Uh, it's nowhere near that. Uh, the easiest way to just just look at the numbers, and it's not enough. It, it's it's more likely those guys are are closer into the embassy in case we have to do an extraction uh, and get our folks out of there. Now, this uh, brings up a question of of what does it mean for us to be at war in 21st century in America. Because it, traditionally we would say, okay, we're at war when Congress declares that we're at war, and that's pretty much it. I mean, president has a little bit of leeway in declaring short-term wars, but uh, generally speaking, the Constitution sets out that we, uh, the Congress, has the power to declare war, and the Congress has not yet declared war. So, where is the line when we're talking about 
U.S. being involved in proxy wars where we're funding wars, uh, foreign wars, but not actually having troops on the ground. At what point can we say, okay, we're at war with this country? Because it seems like we're getting to the point where we're at war with Russia, and I don't want to be in that situation. Uh, you, uh, you're hitting on a point uh, that we've been grappling with uh, roughly since 1950. Uh, that's the Cold War. You just described 50 years of conflict with the Soviet Union. Um, the last time we had a declared war was World War II. Korea, Vietnam, uh, the, the Gulf War, uh, our engagement in the, in the war on terror. Everything since. Every brush fire war, every small intervention, uh, all the way up through uh, campaigns that have lasted 12 years or more. Those kinds of things have been what we would call doctrinally limited war. Uh, and it's everything we've been doing since the, uh, the North Koreans came across the 38th parallel in 1950. So there, there is, I think, some argument to be made uh, about if this is the style of politics by other means, as Clausewitz said, uh, which is how you, how you define warfare, um, then we've got to get our arms around what the, the new protocols are uh, because we we have a constitution. Uh, in theory, you do have laws that say uh, we're responsible for, for, depending on which branch of government we happen to be in, we have certain enumerated powers. Uh, and there are shared powers, overlapping powers, checks and balances. And one of those reasons why we have checks and balances is to prevent us from getting into, into uh, wars without accountability. And, you know, speaking of the same thing about these, these proxy wars going on, it seems as though... China is getting into it now. Uh, same thing with Russia. It's kind of hard to discern what's true, what's not, and what's really going down behind the scenes. But it seems as though China has decided to uh, enter into this proxy war and start assisting Russia, though it's kind of unclear about how much or if they are at all. But so, what's the situation with China in this situation, but also in the global situation? Because there's also been rumors about them in Taiwan, which seems to always be a rumor. And of course, them uh, and their intelligence on U.S. soil. Uh, so, what do we have? What do we know there? Well, first of all, you know, China is a, is a declared competitor of ours. They intend uh, to replace us. It said as much. And so, if you want to know um, what where the Chinese are looking, what they're thinking about doing, you've got to look at what the Chinese say to other Chinese. You know, what what's the domestic rhetoric? Because there's an outward face uh, and there's an inward policy. You've also got to recognize that, uh, that they're human too. And so you may have stovepipes, isolate silos of different uh, political intent. Uh, their military may be doing and saying one thing, their, their political arm saying and doing another. Uh, so uh, it's not something you can get in a soundbite. Uh, but know this they intend uh, to be the, 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 the dominant global player, uh, as they believe America is on the descendancy. So whether that, that needs to be armed conflict um, or not, uh, they definitely uh, intend to compete against us. And so go into every deal and every conversation uh, with your, your Chinese business partners understanding that. Go into every deal and every conversation with, with your diplomatic partners understanding that. Uh, so Given that context, uh, Taiwan uh, has always been seen by mainland China as a part of China, uh, if you're, the, you're part of the, 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 uh, the Chinese Communist Party. 
So that's their motivation uh, is to swallow and regain control of everything they see to be uh, when the Chinese sphere of influence and, and Taiwan is in their sights. I firmly believe, though, uh, that they have been given a moment of pause. It's not going to be as easy as they thought it might have been, not something they can take uh, next year, but something they're going to have to wait a little bit on because of, of what's happened with Russia. In the 21st century style warfare, given the, the technology and the capability of systems, uh, you can't go in with one boot off. You can't go in without your logistics lined up. You can't go in with untrained soldiers. You can't go in overestimating your capabilities and underestimating your, your opponent. Uh, that modern warfare consumes many machines at a horrific rate. And if the Chinese are going to try to take Taiwan, uh, Taiwan's surrounded by an awfully big moat. Uh, so it's going, to, it's going to be a naval battle. Uh, it's going to be something a lot more complex than what the Russians are just trying to do with Ukraine. You know, last question. We have about a minute, and it's going to be a big question, so I'm not ju- not going to be able to do justice to it. But the situation with AI, it's exploding, and we often had you on to talk about the deal with the uh, technology in the military. And now, all of a sudden, it feels like every 15 days or less, there's a new boom and uh, advancement in technology for AI. What is the effects in uh, global war and and our uh, national defense? I, I keep saying this, that the AI is, is really good at, at pulling information together, and the, and the quality of it is right now is, is basically at the level of a, uh, a humanities professor. Uh, when, when AI becomes capable of doing advanced physics, uh, advanced scientific experimentation, that I'm concerned. Um, not to say that that, that isn't the intent of its developers, um, but AI right now, from the military perspective, is a decision-making aid, uh, not something that's going to take over like Skynet. Uh, however, uh, I think NATO and, and the U.S. are ready to reach out to China and go to what should be responsible for using AI. Well, thank you very much, Colonel Matt Dooley. We'll have to come have you back on uh, just to talk about just the AI situation. But uh, I think that was a good little one-minute uh, summary as best we could do in that time. But that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. When we come back, we're going to be talking about vocations, the unnecessary mystery. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time after this short break. God bless you. God love you. And we'll be right back. Uh, started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing mass, and then it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our, our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question if you're a non-Catholic friend. Was the Catholic Church in existence as far back as the first three centuries? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, baseball. In September 1845, the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club was formally established and called baseball. Rules were set, included the diamond-shaped infield, foul lines, and the three-strike rule. But seven years before that, in 1775, that game was already being played on schoolyards, well before it was ever called baseball. Secondly, the Apostolic Father. 
fathers, such as Tertullian, Clement, St. Ignatius, all wrote before 215 A.D. about the authority of the local bishop. And they used the name, the Catholic Church, which already had the liturgy, the Eucharist, the readings, the relics, a hierarchy, and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. To fishermen, a dolphin was just a big fish until they were termed dolphins. But they were always dolphins. And baseball was baseball well before it was termed baseball. And you will love this. The early church was the Catholic Church well before Constantine the Great, the Nicene Creed, and your church history book. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave the GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. In your car, at the office, or in your home, we're always here. This is the Guadalupe Radio. Hi, my name's Alyssa Vigil from St. Ignatius of Loyola Catholic Community, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, I was thinking about this last Sunday. It's a beautiful Sunday. The second Sunday after Easter. The second Sunday after Easter is traditionally known as Good Shepherd Sunday. Why is it known as Good Shepherd Sunday? Well, because in the gospel, it talks about the Good Shepherd. Now, I'm going to read to you a sermon on Good Shepherd Sunday, and I thought it was a beautiful thing to talk about because on Good Shepherd Sunday, it's a traditional day to preach about vocations. And that's something that we at the Guadalupe Radio Network have as one of our core pillars of things that we want to express and want to push, and it's a great opportunity to talk about. Now, John chapter 10, verses 11 through 16 was the gospel. It says, a continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory be to thee, O Lord. At that time, Jesus said to the Pharisees, I am the good shepherd. So there you go. There's the reason why it's called Good Shepherd Sunday. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. But the hireling, and he that is not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and flieth. And the wolf catcheth, and scattereth the sheep. And the hireling flieth, because he is a hireling, and he hath no care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me. As the Father knoweth me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep, and other sheep I have, that are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold, and one shepherd. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's very interesting because in the gospel, it talks about the wolves coming and the hireling. Because those who are not a true shepherds, they're going to flee in fear of the wolves. Because the wolves are coming and they see the wolves coming and they're like, I don't get paid enough for this. And they run away. It's kind of how you might think at your job. If you get asked to do a task that is just so difficult and so ridiculous you're like look i'm making minimum wage or i'm only making this much money 
I am not dealing with that. I'll let someone who makes more or someone whose job that is, they can take care of that. Whereas the good shepherd sees the sheep and sees the wolves coming. And instead of flying from the wolves, he takes his crozier and goes out to meet the wolf and beats the wolf back in order to protect his sheep. And that's how you can identify a true shepherd from a false shepherd. Because false shepherds, a hireling, merely takes care of the sheep when it's easy. But when things get difficult, they give up and they flee. Now, this was a time whenever it's time to preach about the vocations. Now, this sermon I'm about to read to you is an anonymous. It's from an anonymous priest uh, on uh, the book by Father Richard Butler, which I highly recommend. If you have a son, a daughter, or you yourself are discerning a vocation, the best book I've ever read on discerning a vocation is called Vocations, an Unnecessary Mystery by Father Richard Butler, uh, published by Tan Books. So if you can find that book, I think it's out of print. It might be out of print. If you can find that book, you should definitely buy it for anyone who you think uh, would be discerning religious life or the priesthood or you yourself. Uh, Or if you just want to understand vocations better, you should definitely read this book. It was written by a Dominican priest who was trying to explain the vocations in the 1960s because back then people were very, very confused about the way vocations worked and why some people had vocation, others didn't, and all these different things. And he explains it all from a classical Thomistic perspective. So it's very good. And this is a sermon based off of that book. Introduction. The word vocation, my dear brethren, is an evocative word. It is a word that often stirs up interior confusion, self-doubt, guilt, and other such emotions, particularly among the young. The reason for this is that the word itself has an unwittingly at asking ourselves, do I have a vocation? Distinction. Most of us have our asked ourselves this question at some stage in our lives. Do I have a vocation? But few really understand what a vocation is. A vocation can be divided into two distinct categories. First, the religious vocation, that is the embracing of the evangelical counsels, poverty, chastity, and obedience, usually within a religious community. This applies both to men and women. And second, the priestly vocation. This is the vocation arising from the sacrament of holy orders. This sermon is about religious vocation, but may be applied in equal measure to priestly vocation too. Now, there is something that has to be quite as just a quick aside. This vocation that is referred to is traditionally not referred to when we talk about marriage. Traditionally speaking, marriage was not considered a vocation because the word uh, vocation literally means vocare, which means to call out of. And marriage is the natural state of man, which is why we see in Genesis, Adam and Eve get married. For the man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And our Lord raised that, that natural thing, that natural act, to the dignity of a vocation, to a dignity of a sacrament, rather. And so one is not rightly to say that it's a vocation because a vocation is a calling out of the natural state, which is marriage, even though it is sacramental. And it's calling to a higher life, which is that of religious life or the priesthood. Uh, I have a question there, Adrian. Mm-hmm. I've had this, this discussion with friends that I always thought marriage was the default. 
Yes, we're, we're that's correct. Okay, and and I've been told otherwise that we're supposed to discern whether we're, we're to be for marriage or not. But I always thought that that's our default, and we discern who do we want to meet. And and if we're having doubts, then maybe God's calling us for, to something else. So you s- explaining that makes it much more clear to me. And, and now I have something to talk and, about. And I think the word discernment is the right word. I think instead of vocation, we could say you discern marriage because ah. you're discerning who you want to marry. You're not uh, deciding whether or not you have a vocation. You are discerning, okay, I decided I want to be married, so I am discerning who should I marry. And so, I think that's the right thing. So because it's our natural uh, tendency to be married, it, it can be it can be accurately said as being our default as well. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So continuing on with the sermon, what a vocation is not. Most of us, as I have said, do not really understand what a vocation is. In 1960, Father Richard Butler, O.P., wrote a book entitled Religious Vocation, an Unnecessary Mystery. In this book, he clearly exposes the modern false conceptions that surround the idea of a vocation and presents the perennial teaching of the angelic doctor, St. Thomas. He says that there are two extreme and false notions of what a religious vocation is. The first false notation is to see the idea of vocation in a totally objective light. God calls all men to the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience as a means to the the end of man, which is perfect charity. These are the best means of attaining the final goal, and so all men should embrace them if they wish to be perfect. Therefore, everyone should enter religion. The opposite extreme is the most prevalent today, even among traditional Catholic circles. This is the error of seeing vocation in a totally subjective light. That vocation is in a purely interior thing, something mysterious, full of unknowing. The author mischievously quotes a various flowery passage from romantic authors to illustrate his point. Here is one. The religious life comes in various ways. In some cases, it is distinct and overpowering. In others, it is gentle, like a whispering breeze, and must be listened to carefully in order to be discerned. And another one, my dear friend, in your heart of hearts, ask yourself if God is not calling you. Now, these are the examples that he gives as romantic expressions of uh, trying to discern a vocation, which he's saying is not right. He says here, and continuing on, the problem with this first extreme of total objectivity is that while the religious life is the most perfect life in the concrete manifestation of his will, God does not wish all men to embrace the religious state. Such a contingency would deprive heaven of souls that would not be conceived in marriage. It would make a nonsense of the canonization of married saints. The problem with the opposite extreme is that the notion of a vocation becomes shrouded in mystery. It becomes indefinable. It becomes an affair of Gnosticism or secret or infused knowledge, or most often an affair of sentimentalism. When we try to discern God's will by listening for voices or by expecting thunderbolts or revelations or by waiting for the warm, fuzzy feeling that we sometimes have when we pray. What a vocation is. A religious vocation is nothing more than a firm will impelled by grace to embrace the evangelical counsels as a means to the end, which is the perfection of charity. A vocation is not something totally objective, applying to all men indiscriminately, and it is not something totally subjective, devoid of all clarity and objectivity. It is the just moule of the two extremes. Objectively, a vocation is not a universal logical compulsion, 
but an invitation extended by Jesus Christ to all without distinction. Subjectively, a vocation is not an emotional response to an idea, but an unruffled desire for perfect charity. Do I have a vocation? And so to return to the often uncomfortable question that screams at a young Catholic when he hears the word vocation. In fact, there is no such thing as having a vocation, like possessing a precious ring or hearing an interior voice perpetually nagging you. Those who are serious should leave this question and ask themselves these questions instead. Question number one, do I really want the perfection of charity? Now, this is an important question. Now, obviously, you're going to want to say, yes, of course, I want perfection of charity. But ask yourself truly, do you really want the perfection of charity? Because if you do, that perfection of charity is making vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So you have to ask yourself, do I really want the perfection of charity? Question number two, am I free of anything that might be an impediment to my embracing the religious life? So if you have poor health, both physical or mental health, if you are a slave to vice, so there are certain sins that you are enslaved to, are you, do you have a dependent? Are you married with wife and kids? Are you, or you're a woman, are you married with a husband and kids? Or do you have very elderly parents you have to take care of? Do you have financial liabilities? Are you unable to enter religious life because you have so much debt that you, you would be a burden to the religious community? So if there are impediments, those, that's another question to ask. Question number three, do I have the magnanimity of soul to carry it through? What is this question? Basically, this is a question of saying, do you have a generosity of love of God? Do you have a desire for the perfection of virtue? Are you generous to others as well? Are you, do you have a frankness of soul? Do you lack uh, pretentiousness or deceit? Do you have a moderation in honors? Are you balanced in appreciation of God's creatures? A, a kind of a sense of order that thinks some things are greater than others? A rejection of egalitarianism, basically? And are you a prudent person? So these are the three questions that you should ask. Now, a vocation is not involuntary, and it is not mysterious. It is something that you decide. After consideration, consideration of A, what it means, B, whether you are able to or whether you are capable of it, and C, whether you have the largesse of soul to carry it through. It was said, but many say that, are you generous? How generous do you want to be with God? Do you want to give him everything or do you want to give him some things? And so if any of you have answered yes to these questions, my dear brethren, then all one can say is don't dither and get thee to a convent. And if any of you are dithering, then I shall leave you with these words of St. Thomas, the misgivings of those who hesitate as to whether or not they may be able to attain to perfection by entering religion is shown by many examples to be unreasonable. To those who take this sweet yoke upon themselves, he provides the refreshment of the divine fruition and the rests of their soul. To which may he who made this promise bring us, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is over all things, blessed forever. Amen. And these are the words of this anonymous priest on the Sermon on Vocations. So that's the idea here. The idea here is, do you want to be a priest? Do you want to be religious? Do you want to be perfect? If the answer is yes, can you do it? Do you have the ability to do it? And do you have the generosity of soul to offer up the goods of marriage for that end? And if that answer is yes, then go for it. Go do it. Come and see the sweetness that God offers you. Go join a religious community. Go visit a religious community. Go do it. It'll be a blessing. 
Even if you leave, it'll be a blessing. But we're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling. So call now, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. That number, 877-757-9424. Call now to play our game show, Fear and Trembling, after this short break. your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray a chaplet. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed the chaplet of Divine Mercy daily? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no common need it there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, luminous, joyful, and sorrowful. There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And that's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Tripling. And we give out prizes, then you could win. You may be asking to yourself, okay, well, what am I listening to? What is this game show you keep talking about? Well, it's very simple. I have three Catholic trivia questions, and the point is I don't ask you the questions. No, instead I ask Tito the questions, and every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Uh, Tito, what could they win? They could win the Fear and Trembling Prize for this week is a Catholic Answers book by Dave Armstrong on popular works that vindicate the Bible through archaeology and science. The book is Word Set in Stone, available now through shop.catholic.com or at a Catholic bookstore near you. 
Uh, thank you very much to Catholic Answers for sponsoring our game show this week. So if you'd like to get a chance to win the game, and don't worry, I ask Tito the questions, and he gives me an answer. So it's a 50-50 chance of you getting the answer right, because all you got to know is, is he right or is he wrong? So call now, 877-757-9424. We always take the first caller, that number, 877 757 9424. And let me invite you if you've never called before. Well, right now I'm looking over to my left and there are no callers on the line. So if you've never called before, now is the time to call 877 757 9424. And we always take the first caller. And so if you do not get on today, if you're saying, oh, I wanted to call in and I didn't get on, well, make sure that you write that number down, put it in your speed dial. And so that way, whenever the show comes on, you can be the first caller. And here's a pro tip. If you want to get on early, you can always do so by hopping on at the 7 o'clock hour. We always have the phone lines open so you can hop on and wait on hold. And we will come to you and get your information. And if you're the first caller, then you get to be on. So if you really want to be on, feel free to hop on at the 7 o'clock hour and just wait on hold because we always take the first Caller, that number to put on speed dial, 877-757-9424. And here's another pro tip. If you're like, ah, you know, I can't really get all this information. It's too much. Make sure you go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. If you go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, you are able to get all that information right there, uh, right at the beginning. So if you want to know the game show rules, if you want to get the phone number, well, you are welcome to uh, go and see all that information on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. All right. We have our caller on the line. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you, Kim and Tony. Hello. Hello. Good morning, Kim and Tony. How are you all this morning? We're doing great. How are you? It's, it's good to hear his voice. What's that? We just went to a Ranger game yesterday. Oh, Texas nice. Nice. Praise be to God. That sounds like a, a blast. Uh, did you, uh, did, I honestly don't really keep up with sports, so you're going to let me know, did your team win? Yeah. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Well, congratulations. I'm sorry to everyone who rooted for the other guy, but uh, y'all won, so <laughs> praise be to God for y'all. Um, Kim and Tony, where are y'all off to this morning? Y'all heading to school? We are. Praise be to God. Well, it's good to hear y'all's voice again, and y'all are calling from the uh, great city of Rowlett, Texas. Am I right? That's yep. right. Praise be to God. It's good. It's good to always have y'all back on. Uh, it's good. It's been a while since y'all called in, so it's good to have you back. Uh, are you? I'm sure y'all been listening, so y'all know. Uh, can you trust Tito? Is he is he easy to figure out? Y'all got him figured out already. We are a veteran. <laughs> Tony okay. said he's a veteran. All right, Tony's a veteran. He knows he can he can sniff out the deceit from a mile away. So y'all ready to play the game? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Tito. First question to you. Okay. The question on the board. What? Is a bishop of an archdiocese called the bishop of an archdiocese? Bishop archdiocese. I would take a gander and say an archbishop. Archbishop, you say? Yes, of an archdiocese. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. So does that make every like? 
priest in a archdiocese and archpriest? The logic would seem to lend so, but uh, I don't believe okay. so. Okay, interesting. Interesting idea you got there. All righty, Kim and Tony. The question on the board is, what is a bishop of an archdiocese called? Uh, Tito says it's an archbishop. I mean, that's kind of on the nose if you ask me. Uh, but 15 seconds on the clock. Kim and Tony, what say you? Is Tito right? Is he wrong? Is a bishop of an archdiocese called an archbishop? What say you, Kim and Tony? He's right. He's right, they say. Way to go, Kim and Tony. See, they're <laughs> veterans. Wow. They know. They know. You know, I don't know if an archpriest is a real thing. I'm going to have to look that up. I bet I bet it is, but I just never heard of it. But I'm going to look that up later. All righty, Kim and Tony, y'all got one already. So are y'all ready to try to get number two, correct? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. And I've got to say, this question, mm, it can be tricky. It can be tricky. All right, Tito. Okay. Are you ready, Tito? Yeah, I'm a little anxious, but uh, let's do this. Okay, let's do it. Name the fifth beatitude. Oh, the fifth beatitude. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, Blessed are the generous, for they shall be happy. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, Blessed are the generous, for they shall be happy. That makes sense. I like it. I I, li- I'm, I consider myself a generous person. Yes, you are. Um, and so I think, therefore, I should be happy. And I define happiness as uh, having lots of chocolate. And so <laughs> I think people should just come and bring me chocolate. I think that would be the right thing. That's, would and be- they would then be generous, and therefore they then would be happy. Correct. There you go. There you go. All righty, Kim and Tony. The question on the board is, well, it's not really a question. I guess it's a command. Name me. The fifth beatitude. Now, Tito said, blessed are the generous, for they shall be happy. I like the sound of that. Fifteen seconds on the clock. Kim and Tony, is he right? Is he wrong? Is he trying to pull your leg? And are y'all going to bring me chocolate? These are the questions I have for you. Uh, What say you, Kim and Tony? He's wrong. He said he's wrong. And you are right. Man, you guys are too good. I thought y'all were going to get tricked by that one. But no, could not trick you. We're going to be in Houston in September. Maybe we'll bring you some chocolate then. Hey, there you go. There we go. See, this is is why we... See, I love everybody, but some listeners I love more than others, and particularly those who uh, bring me chocolate. I'm just saying. Uh, no, no, No favorites here. No favorites here. I love everybody equally. All righty, Kim and Tony, are y'all ready for question number Trace? Yes, we're ready. All right. And y'all know what Trace, what language Trace is, right? Uh, French. How did you know? That's a, he nailed it. <laughs> three Crazy for three. Guy. Good. That's a good question. All right. Let's jump into uh, question number three, Tito. Okay. All righty. Trust bien. Now, this question, I can see this being tricky for certain peoples. So here it comes. A man, notice a man, in the minor orders, whose duty is to present the wine and water at the sacrifice of the mass and to act as the candle bearer, is called what? Ha <laughs> ha. Again, I served this past weekend. I know exactly what this is. It's a tricky question, but it's acolyte. 
Not <laughs> Alter Server, but Acolyte. Oh, man. That is... Whew. Okay. Okay. That's a... I gotta admit, that is, in fact, a tricky one. That... Quite. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Kim and Tony. Uh Kim and Tony. The question on the board is a man in the minor orders whose duty it is to present the wine and water at the sacrifice and to act as a candle bearer is called what? Now, fifteen seconds on the clock, Kim and Tony. Tito seems to think that it's called an acolyte. He said some people might think it's an altar server, but in reality. It's an acolyte. 15 seconds on the clock. Kim and Tony, what say you? Is he right? Is he wrong? Or is he trying to trick you? What say you, Kim and Tony? He is right. He is right, they say. Way to go. Three for three. Wow. Honestly, I thought that was going to get them. I thought that was going to get them. How did y'all know? Did y'all know the answer to that already? Yep, I had a close eye. There you go. There you go. He just knew it. So, yes, the minor orders, they're not really done too much anymore. Some communities still do them. But the minor order of Acolyte, and the servers kind of act as Acolytes, so a lot of parishes will call their servers Acolytes because uh, that they kind of serve that function nowadays. So there's your answer for you and your little bit of history tidbits. But you guys got three for three, so praise be to God. You got your name in the coffee cup of Divine Providence three times. How do y'all feel? Great. See, Tony is yeah. an acolyte. Hey, there you go. See, that's how he knew. He, Tony was like, yeah, I'm an acolyte, so I know. I I know all the secrets. So uh, now we know. Next time y'all call in, I'm going to change all the questions to alter server questions, and we're going we're gonna to grill you <laughs> on all the server questions. All righty, Kim and Tony, stay on the line because we're going to get our, your contact information. But thank you for calling in this morning. Thanks for having us. We love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. God bless y'all. Have a blessed rest of the Easter season. And remember, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Truly, he is risen. Hallelujah. All right. That's going to do it for our first or second hour of Catholic Drive Time. We're going to go into our after show. If you want to join us, you can hop on YouTube, hop on Facebook. You can hop on Rumble or Odyssey. and We'll interact with you directly. But if not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning from 6 to 8 a.m. Central Time uh, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. God bless you. God love you. And stick your head out the window today and just shout, Alleluia! Praise be to God and say, Christ is risen. Truly, He is risen. God bless you, and we'll see you in the after show or tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Central. God bless. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. In the memorial of St. Fidelis of Sigmaringen, this Mass is being offered for all of our listeners on Guadalupe Radio Media and those joining us online. 
Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The strife is o'er, the battle done. The victory of life is won. The song of triumph hath begun. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that putting off our old self with all its ways, we may live as Christ did. For through the healing paschal remedies you have conformed us to his nature, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Stephen, filled with grace and power, was working great wonders and signs among the people. Certain members of the so-called Synagogue of Freedmen's, Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and people from Cilicia and Asia, came forward and debated with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they instigated some men to say, We have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes, accosted him, seized him, and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They presented false witnesses who testified, This man never stopped saying things against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him claim that this Jesus the Nazarene will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All those who sat in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The word of the Lord. Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. Though princes meet and talk against me, your servant mediates on your statutes. Yes, your decrees are my delight, they are my counselors. Blessed, Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. 
I declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous deeds. Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. Remove from me the way of falsehood, and favor me with your law. The way of truth I have chosen, I have set your ordinances before me. Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. After Jesus had fed the 5,000 men, his disciples saw him walking on the sea. The next day, the crowd that remained across the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not gone along with his disciples in the boat, but only his disciples had left. Other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had eaten the bread when the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. <coughs> Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. So they said to him, What can we do to accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. The Gospel of the Lord. morning's gospel we are continuing in the beautiful sixth chapter of John which is the great Eucharistic discourse of the New Testament we see in today's passage that after Jesus had already fed the 5,000 that the people come looking for him but Jesus points out they came looking for him not because they saw a sign and because they were believing in who Jesus was but seemingly because they were looking for another meal they thought Jesus is a guy who's going to be able to feed them. I suppose we could say in some ways it was the first hint of a kind of prosperity gospel. To think if I'm around with Jesus, all my needs will be met physically, my life will be good, everything will be easy for me. Look what he did with those five loaves and two fish. But Jesus, of course, is going to reorient their perspective and lead them to consider about imperishable food for the soul as opposed to merely perishable food for the body. In sacred scripture, bread is a motif which is found repeatedly throughout scripture. Of course, as mentioned, the sixth chapter of John is building toward Jesus pointing to the Eucharist and the bread of life for those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. But bread also has other significances in sacred scripture. In the first place, along the lines of the bread motif, we can think of Jesus saying, 
Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That sacred scripture, the word of God, is intended to be our food as well. When we hear the word of God, we listen to what God is telling us, and we have a basis on which to act our life. And just as we need food regularly throughout the day, we also need to hear God's word to be able to listen to him, to know how we are to live our life. Secondly, also in the Gospel of John from the fourth chapter, Jesus points out that his food is to do the will of the one who sent him. In other words, the bread of God or the food of God in our lives is also meant to be in living his, his will on a daily basis. But this is meant to be, too, the food of our life. Suppose you could say, in hearing his word, we listen to his words to know what we should do, and then we go about the task of actually making the decision to live it in our daily lives, and this too is a daily event which is analogous to eating food. Every day we strive to live God's will. And thirdly, of course, <clears throat> we have to point out that, of course, the great bread motif throughout Scripture is all pointing toward Jesus in the Eucharist, as the bread of life, whereby in receiving Jesus we receive him body, blood, soul, and divinity. And precisely we can say after listening to God, after committing ourselves to doing his will, God feeds us with the bread of life to be able to have the strength and the nourishment to be able to accomplish that will in our daily lives. Every day of our life we eat food probably at least three times a day. We have pangs of hunger that our body give us to remind us, hey, it's time to eat or you should think about eating. Or maybe we feel weakness in our body and it reminds us it's time to eat something, it's time to drink something. But today's gospel reminds us that even more than the perishable food which goes into our body, we need the bread of life, Jesus Christ. We need to listen to his words in sacred scripture. We need to commit ourselves to doing his will. And we need to receive him in the sacred Eucharist because he truly is the imperishable bread for our soul, which allows us to accomplish God's will in our life. Perhaps today as we go forward, when we feel those pangs of hunger that remind us to eat, we can allow those same hunger pains to also remind us don't forget about my need for imperishable food for my soul. To listen to God's word, to strive to do his will, and to look forward to receiving Jesus in the Eucharist to receive the strength to accomplish this will. In today's first reading, we hear about the journeys of Stephen. And we hear that Stephen is aglow with proclaiming the word of God, that he is truly on fire to proclaim Jesus risen from the dead and on account of it he is despised and Stephen is willing to let his perishable body go in order to proclaim the imperishable word of God. He recognizes the importance of the imperishable food over the perishable one and so Stephen prepares himself that he is willing to lose his life to that which is going to perish bodily life in this world in order to proclaim the imperishable word of God because he knows that his life is headed toward the resurrection of Jesus. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us ask God for the grace that when we feel our bodily pangs of hunger, 
we would always be reminded of our much deeper need for the imperishable bread of God, for the food that he offers us in the Eucharist, in his word, and in doing his will. Amen. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, filled with paschal joy, let us pray more earnestly to God that he who graciously listened to the prayers and supplications of his beloved Son <coughs> may now be pleased to look upon us in our lowliness. For the shepherds of our souls, that they may have the strength to govern wisely the flock entrusted to them by the Good Shepherd, let us pray to the Lord. For the whole world, that it may truly know the peace given by Jesus Christ, let us pray to the Lord. For our brothers and sisters who suffer, that their sorrow may be turned to gladness which no one can take from them, let us pray to the Lord. For our own community, for those joining us online and by radio, that we may bear witness with great confidence to the resurrection of Christ, let us pray to the Lord. For the grace to continually listen to God's word in order to accomplish his will. And in thanksgiving for the bread of life that we receive in the Eucharist, we pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. O God, who know that our life in this present age is subject to suffering and need, Hear the desires of those who cry to you and receive the prayers of those who believe in you through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. May our prayers rise up to you, O Lord, together with the sacrificial offerings, so that, purified by your graciousness, we may be conformed to the mysteries of your mighty love through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, at all times to acclaim you, O Lord. But in this time, above all, to laud you yet more gloriously, when Christ our Passover has been sacrificed, through him the children of light rise to eternal life, and the halls of the heavenly kingdom are thrown open to the faithful. For his death is our ransom from death, and in his rising, the life of all has risen. Therefore, overcome with paschal joy, every land, every people exalts in your praise. And even the heavenly powers with the angelic host sing together the unending hymn of your glory as they acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to a second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim, 
by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. Fidelis of Sigmaringen, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. <clears throat> Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on
take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on the gospel of the Lord. Regina Celi, Leta Re, Alleluia, Quia Quemeruisti, Portare, Alleluia, Resurrexit, Secutixit, Alleluia. The Prayer to St. Michael 
St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Spreading the splendor of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I'm Tracy Sanchez from San Agustin Catholic School. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. <laughs> 